Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Ken Becknell, who's the CEO of AdTrack Media. It's not a mining company or a natural resource company. This is an outdoor digital media company. Well, what does that mean? Well, they install hardware in the tunnels between metro subways and tubes, as we call them here in the UK, um, which allows us, the, the people on the trains, to view 10 to 20 second video clips. It's quite interesting. I do urge people, um, perhaps at the end of this podcast, who are intrigued to go to the video because we put an example of and how that works on there. Um, we talk about their business model, um, their global growth ambitions, which are significant, and what the end game is. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Ken, how you doing, sir? Good. Good morning, Matt. Good to see you. Yeah. Now, we've, uh, we spoke recently, but we've known each other for a few years because um, I know something about this story from when you guys sort of first kicked this off. But uh, and we, I want to introduce it to people on the, on the show and on the channel here because I think it's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. Um, so but before we do, give us that one minute overview of what it is that you do. Sure, will do. Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate the opportunity to share the AdTrack Media story. We are a tech media company. We are unique in that we have a proprietary hardware and software digital out-of-home media solution that we install and operate in subway systems and around the world. Okay. So this, oppor- this opportunity allows us to have direct uh, concession relationships with the subway systems in the world, and we are ostensibly an advertising sales company. Explain how it works, because it's, uh, it's quite interesting. I've not seen anything like it before. So how does it work? Well, our opportunity is to install our technology in subway tunnels. Uh, this is uh, real estate that subway systems have not monetized in the past. So it's pretty much an opportunity for us in every subway system around the world. We install hardware on the tunnel wall between the stations when the train is moving through the tunnel. So it's interesting because everyone on the train is at a point in their day when they're very receptive to be distracted, entertained. And our content is 100% advertising, but people find it very interesting. We connect that to a VPN and load all of the ads around the world from our network operating center here in Canada. Okay, but I need to explain it to people because it's, you've kind of got a hardware company. You're an advertising media company, but there's a hardware component. So you, you physically install hardware in the tube. So how, how does that work, first of all? Yes. So what's unique about our product is everything we install in the subway tunnel is designed, engineered, and manufactured by us for the subway tunnel. We are not putting third-party panels in the tunnel. We have a unique technology that displays what looks like an 84-inch TV screen out the window of the subway from less than 1% of that uh, what's perceived to be uh, viewing area by the passenger riding through the tunnel. We install multiple of these devices through the tunnel, and that creates a full motion video. uh, And everyone in the train, from the person in the first car to the person in the last car, all travel by it and see a full 10 second video advertisement. Along a tunnel, you're seeing these vertical pieces of hardware. They're strips which contain LED lights, is that right? And you, your software controls the output 
which makes our eyes perceive that as some big moving image, but it's over like 200 meters. Yeah, the, the, the length of the installation depends on the train speed. Faster the train's going, uh, the longer it is. Typically, subway systems range from 40 to you know 100 kilometers an hour, depending on the stretch. And so we would uh, design the installation for that specific location. Not uh, dissimilar to highways where there's speed limits or speed settings. Uh, all subway tunnels have a speed profile and we would install to that. We can handle hills, curves, speed changes by the train within reason, and our software adapts and adjusts to that. Even if there's variances between the trains after we've installed, we monitor those uh, the train speed very accurately and then display the image so that it's perfectly uh, still in the window and uh, a very impactful and effective uh, advertising. What's really interesting about our technology and our product is we've done uh, significant research as we've developed our markets around the world. We've been operating now in Asia, uh, South America, and Europe uh, over the last six years. And we've really proven the concept, proven the demand by the large brands. We attract uh, global leading brands to our product because of the impactfulness. But what's, uh, we've had some research done by third-party agencies that have proven that uh, the impact, because when this tunnel window, the train window goes from black to lighting up like a full TV screen, uh, it's, it's very captivating. So we make you look, uh, we can distract you from your book, your phone, whatever you look. And then the creative, because it's unique, by the advertiser captures you. So that's something that's very unique to us. The research has proven we had it done by Dentsu Aegis in Europe on our behalf in Spain. And by their assessment, we're one of the most impactful digital out-of-home medias in Europe. Right. And by impactful, you mean people remember it versus all the other advertising down the, down these subways or tubes. Yeah. So the effectiveness of the advertisement on behalf of the brand has a lasting impact on the viewer. And they recall it. And it's obviously, when you're out and about, when you're in a subway train, you've got your, you know, your you're outside your home, you're in the shopping sphere. So you're able to go and react to advertising calls. Right. So let's stick with the hardware bit. So I know I really want to understand this. So the hardware bit, you have to obviously, you know, you've designed it and you, you, it's your, your technology, but you have to manufacture this and then install it in these subways. There's got to be rules and regulations around this. You know, you think about some of the uh, health and safety issues around this. I mean, does that mean it's a long lead time? Um, you know, how does all that stuff work? Uh, subway system advertising uh, industry or business is very mature. There's been advertising in the transit systems, go in any subway, look at any bus, there's advertising on that. So within the subway or the transit authority environment, you're very mature at developing and monetizing your real estate for advertising. So when we approach a metro, often they've never heard of in-tunnel advertising because we are creating this industry around the world. And so we then convince them that they should run an RFP or a process, whether it's bilateral or a public process, depending on the metro, to enter into a concession agreement with us. Uh, one of our most recent contract in Europe, from the first meeting we had with the metro to the time they had a, a public process, an RFP call, in the market was six months. So it's not overly long lead time. And what's interesting, the contracts we then enter 
are anywhere in the European context around 10 years and in the North American context, uh, 10 to 15 years. So we have a, a very long period of time to, to harvest and generate IRR from the you know, engineering installation process that's often done even before that concession period. So. Okay, and again, I think we'll make the your PowerPoint, which is on your website, available in the link below in the description on YouTube. But um, again, just sticking with this hardware bit, because I think it's really, because there are two bits to your business, really, and the, the, this hardware is, is important. So once it's in there, you're telling me you've got long uh, lead, long contract uh, times, you know, for, what, up to ten years, that sort of that sort of level. Um, are you, who's liable for anything that could go wrong in there? Because you're sitting in someone else's property, but you've kind of got this technology, um, which is yours, and I assume you have contracts to maintain and, and, and upkeep those and monitor those. So, how does all of that work? Yeah, so within the, the business model, we don't sell the hardware to anyone. We own and operate it. So when we install it in a subway tunnel, that's our asset. We're building assets on the balance sheet. Uh, those assets then generate revenue. What's, and to answer your question very specifically, obviously we carry liability insurance, but the engineering and the robustness of uh, you know, the the hardwares that we use to mount these are all engineered and passed by engineers in each market where we install. So there's a full report. We've been at this, the technology, uh, we've been you know, developing and advancing this technology. Uh, we've made a significant investment in the last few years to bring the quality of the system up and up. So what's really interesting is when we install that hardware, it has a, at least a 10-year lifespan from a competitiveness nature. So uh, it's there. Liabilities are ultimately ours, but the engineering is very robust. We've right. never had an incident. We've never had a, an interruption to service. Uh, if you look in, you know, it's dark in the subway tunnel when the train goes through, but there is a myriad of things attached to the wall in the subway tunnel. This is not something that's, we're not groundbreaking in the fact that we're putting stuff on a subway tunnel wall. This is uh, the kind of thing people do all the time. And why, it's unique that we have that advertising media. There. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, well, exactly that. Because if I go down any metro or, or, or subway, uh, the walls are festooned with advertising media everywhere you see from the second you walk into the station. So I guess it's one of the few remaining bits of real estate which they haven't yet monetized. So I guess that's quite attractive to them. Um, what were the barriers to you when you were talking to them about selling over and above the health and safety? When we started this, there, there was, you know, is it a media that's going to work? Is it going to generate revenue? Is it going to be sustainable? And so we've been operating in Madrid in the European context since 2014. Uh, that system, we now have multiples. The metros come out with another uh, concession for us to expand that market. Uh, we've proven that the media generates above average uh, revenues, above average utilization. We are currently one of the most expensive medias in all of Spain in the digital out of home media space. So our unique installation where each ad is exclusive between the brand and the riders of a particular train and it's full motion video and it's in the core of an urban center are all attributes that drive incremental effectiveness and value to the, to the advertiser. And then as a, you know, a business, that's a very compelling business model where we have 
a concession agreement directly with the metro based on a revenue sharing uh, rental agreement to the metro and then of course we generate revenues by selling the advertising so if you look at not dissimilar to a uh, a, a television media model where you get a license for a TV station in a region that generates significant value. Those contracts have value. There's a lot of M&A in the out-of-home space today. So we believe if we build in a state of these concessions, there's significant value that is accrued to the company. Well, let's, let's move on to then the next bit of the business, because it seems to me this is a dual track, I mean, pardon the pun. You're selling in the concept of installing hardware into their, their tunnels. So you're having to, there's a sales job there, right? And the second sales job is well, around- Business development process, yes. Right, okay. Then there's the second component is, yeah. how do you then sell the advertising space? What model are you employing there? So once we have our hardware installed in a metro system, we would then deploy a, deploy a local sales force. So most advertising is the tactical initiative of a business's marketing plan. So when a company wants to reach an audience or customer base in a certain region, they'll take they'll run advertising to generate that demand. So advertising is typically done uh, if it's a large urban center. There will be uh, offices of the advertising agencies representing the brands in those cities and the planners within those agencies will then plan the advertising campaign. So media is typically purchased locally. So for a tactical advertising campaign, let's take again Madrid as our example, uh, the ad agency in Madrid representing a global brand would go to the marketplace to purchase advertising. We have a direct sales force in each of the markets where we operate. It's our sales reps jobs to have relationships with those agencies and to continue to you know, build the awareness of our product. And so that's where the transactional. OK, uh, very rarely uh, you would be direct to a brand. Most of the global brands represent themselves through advertising. agencies. Uh, absolutely. Above that, above that, the advertising agencies, if you have national coverage, will have national budgets above that, there'll be, you know, like Take a look at brands like HSBC that are sponsoring gangways on airport uh, arms around the world. That's done from a global buying desk by the agency representative. So as we build a global footprint, we're able to get the local media buy, the national media buy, and also attract international buys into our various markets. So why have you employed that model? You know, why you've got your own sales force? That must be quite expensive. I mean, did you have you looked at alternative ways of doing this? And quite frankly, is Spain representative of all markets? So relative to media sales, having a direct sales force that is 100% focused on your product uh, is the uh, best way to control you know, revenues. We don't want to outsource our revenue. Uh, we want to make sure that we control it and we drive the process. We think that that's very important within our business model. And that's an evolution. We have entered third-party agreements in the past. Uh, hasn't really uh, led to, you know, where it's an exclusive relationship. Uh, wasn't fruitful for us. We now will enter non-exclusive arrangements with third-party brokers and, and sales reps to support our processes but we will typically always have a local person in the market. One of the evolutions in our business model, and when we talk, as we talk about sales in the process, when we look at primary markets, 
this is the business model. We own the concession, we own and operate, we have a direct sales force, which may have some contractual non-exclusive relationships in a market. We believe that that creates the most value for ad track media. For secondary markets where we, you know, there's either maybe political risk or, or some other risks, or it's a smaller market, we will license the technology and enter a SaaS style agreement with third parties. And, and this strategy has been deployed uh, to accelerate our footprint around the world. When I went back and talked about global media buying, the more markets I have, the more demand I can create across the board. So if we look at a small market, Eastern European country or South American country, we would find a local partner who would take the capital risk on the installation and they would own the concession agreement with the Metro. We would sell them the hardware with a typical manufacturing margin, typically tighten it up because our focus is to be a real partner with them over those long-term agreements and take a percentage of their revenue and have a small carried interest in their operating company. Okay, so which is great. So you've got a few uh, revenue models, a few options there in terms about how you deploy this from white label through to managing the whole process yourself. Um, but are there? How are you positioning yourself? Because if I, you know, and I, I have worked in the space, the advertising space, it's very competitive. Do people see you as a threat? You know, these advertising, not just not the advertising agencies, but the the media outdoor. People, do they see you as a threat or are you enabling them? Are you able to work with them? It's probably a bit of both. You know, early on, we, we've had endorsements from the large, if you look at the out of home industry globally, it's, uh, it's a very small community of large multi-billion dollar players uh, who are you know, strategic around the world. We, we are unique in that getting into that market, obviously, to step up beside or compete directly with those uh, Goliath companies is uh, difficult for someone to enter the market. We've broken the code in that we have a unique technology that no one else has today. And we're able to go to the metros directly and take the tunnel portion of their media concessions. So, you know, from, from our perspective, we're assisting in elevating the value of the media in the transit environment, which we believe has been beneficial to the uh, concessioners that have the other parts of that media footprint in the stations and inside the trains. So we've actually attracted uh, brands that have not typically advertised because we are full motion video. We're very television ad like, which is appealing to the large brands. They have that TV content already created. We simply repurpose it, repurpose it. Magic Black Box on our side converts any type of video to our proprietary format, and they're able to repurpose uh, that content that we've created in a very effective way. Okay, I can see that. So, but, but at the end of the day, there's only so much advertising budget out there. The clients only spend a certain amount of money on their marketing and they will allocate some of that to outdoor, you know, TV, you know, social, you know, um, online, etc. So have you, you're, you're basically trying to insert yourself into uh, a big brand spend because, you know, I imagine this is, this comes under their outdoor category. So with these big players, are you, do you think you, well, have you been successful in being able to charge enough to make money? Yes. 
at, at a baseline. What, what we spoke about earlier is the impactful and effectiveness research that we've done in our media validates that it is a good place for brands to make investments in their advertising campaigns. At a higher level, if we take it up a step away from our particular media and we look at the industry, we all know media globally has been fragmenting. The way people consume media is changing, a lot of over-the-top services. Uh, there are demographics uh, in our society today that are very difficult to reach. You know, I'm a different uh, media consumer than my children. I'm the traditional cable into my home, watch TV, a little bit of, you know, over the top or subscription service media where my children, they don't have cable. They, they consume their medias in different ways. So brands are going, where are the concentrations of large audiences that we can reach? And clearly transit is one of those areas. So when you look at the high value uh, consumers leaving their homes and going about, we can provide very large audiences. If we then look at, at the advertising industry, out-of-home media is one of only two sectors of the advertising industry that's been growing consistently and is forecast to continue to grow. Obviously, digital online is now the, the largest uh, segment of the advertising industry, but the only other growth sector is the out-of-home industry. And out-of-home is all that media that you see when you leave your house self-explanatory. Now, digital out-of-home is a subset, are those electronically connected and controlled advertising uh, you know, screens. That's the sector we're in, and that's what's creating the growth in the out-of-home sector. Digital out-of-home media in 2018 was 15 billion US dollars in revenue worldwide. It's forecasted by 2025 to be at 32 billion. Obviously, we've got a bit of a COVID trough here. You know, people think the ultimate line will be the same, but we've got a little bit of a hiccup here. What we're seeing in the industry today is people are forecasting that we're going to have digital out-of-home uh, revenues back on stream by late 2020, back to where they were. And then 2021 forward uh, should be consistent with what kind of demand and volume levels uh, we've had historically. So as we look through very long-term contracts, we see this as a little hiccup in the, in the process of, of what we have. Okay. So I know you've, you've explained to me previously that you've been through this process of refining the hardware. You've had version 1, 1.0, now 2.0. Uh, you've installed it into various geographies around the world, and you've seen it working safely, and it's generating the kinds of revenues that you, you'd, you'd hoped but you're ready, you're ready to for the next phase now. So what is it that you're looking for? To just step back and, and, and look at what we've done over the course of time when you talk about evolving the technology. Uh, we've, we've upgraded all of our circuitry. It's all system on a chip uh, architecture now and, and the most modern circuit chipsets. Uh, we've just installed the first one of those and it went operational at Zurich Airport at the end of January this year. Uh, that's a unique license agreement, as I spoke about, uh, signature installation with the Swiss government and Swiss tourism. Uh, but if, if you look about where we're going and what we're doing and what we need, uh, in 2014, we signed our first concession agreement in Sao Paulo, Brazil. 
quickly followed by uh, Madrid, Spain. We've had systems operating in Seoul, South Korea, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Madrid, Spain, now Barcelona, Spain, now Zurich, uh, and we have a number of metro concessions uh, pending, uh, subject to raising some capital. We've licensed off Rome. It's uh, all installed and ready to launch uh, once uh, they get through the COVID environment. And we've uh, won an RFP in Rotterdam, and we're installing there likely in the tunnels in June for a September launch. So now behind that, we have a business development pipeline of a number of metros where we've submitted RFPs, a number of metros where we've made direct proposals, and a number of metros that are in that development pipeline. So from our perspective, you know, we've bootstrapped this company since you know, 2016, 2017. And so we're now at a position where we have confidence in our business model, confidence in our ability to deliver the plan that we have for the next four years. And so we're out looking to raise capital. Okay. And um, do you know, what sort of numbers are we talking about here? Because this is obviously global operations don't come cheap. You're talking about hardware. Um, what's that going to look like? And what sort of funds are you talking about raising? What's unique about our product, yes, we've got a front-end capital need to manufacture and install the hardware. But as soon as we turn them on, they cash flow. Again, you know, we launch into a market, we pre-sold the inventory based on our, our experiences. And of course, the advertising industry in general, we're able to service those assets and they generate positive cash flow. So when we look at building out over the next four years, 2021 through 2024, we anticipate putting about 140 of our systems and a system to us is one of those installations between two subway stations that delivers a 10 second app. So we may have multiples in the market, obviously, and then multiple markets. So, you know, when you look at over the next four years, we believe we can effectively deploy between some licensed but mostly owned and operated 140 of our systems into the marketplace. That's going to generate a company that's, that's generating somewhere around 55 million US in revenue with a mid 40s EBITDA line. What's exciting in the out of home industry today, uh, fully digital companies like ours have about a 15x multiple. So the large, you know, the, the, the large public codes range anywhere from 11 to 15. And uh, I was just reading a report, even in the midst of COVID, they're still at a 10x multiple. So, uh, you know, we're a private company today. We continue to stay cloaked and build this thing. And we believe that, you know, by generating that kind of cash flow and, and, and the industry multiples and the need for growth. If you look at the large, as you said earlier, you go in a subway system, every square inch of wall is covered with advertising today. How do those large media companies continue to grow? They're often, they're structured as REITs, especially the North American ones. So their cash is stripped out. So they don't have development money. They have capital to buy cash money because they'll get a multiple money. So we believe as we build this company, you know, depending on the investor group, uh, we're happy to build and create this monster cash flow company over the next you know, 10, 15 years. On the other hand, we're happy to build a company that someone could come and you know, create a liquidity event for all of the shareholders. So 
you know, we think based on the M&A activity that's been going on in the industry and the large public out-of-home companies stating they're going to fuel growth with acquisitions, we think will be a likely target in you know, sort of three to five years. Fantastic. Ken, it's a really interesting story. I, I like it. I mean, obviously, it's, it's quite dynamic and uh, it's very different from anything else out there. Um, you know, and you've given us a nice overview of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and, the, you know, I think, again, we'll put the, say, put the presentation and the, link, and the links below. People can get a, a sense of what you're, you're trying to do, read, read the numbers as well. Um, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Matt, as always, great to see you. Really appreciate the uh, interest and support. Uh, you know, happy to connect if there's any follow-up by any of your, your viewers and uh, happy to share more. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.